0: Take our Bibles this evening, let's go to the book of Revelation, we're in chapter 12. Revelation chapter number 12. Continue our study in the end times, a chronological look at these last days and into the end times there. Last Wednesday we were in Revelation chapter 12 and we looked at three primary characters in this chapter. Uh, If you recall, we looked at the woman described for us in verse number one. There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. Uh, She, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. Uh, We talked about the woman for some time last week. Anybody want to yell out to me tonight? Who was that woman? Who does she represent? israel very good she represents the nation of israel there are other thoughts out there there are other beliefs on that especially from other denominational backgrounds uh, the, the the catholic church has uh, believing that's the the, the uh, mary the mother of jesus and so on and so forth there's various thoughts out there but we showed you very clearly how that was representing israel uh, her description there fits the account there in genesis chapter 37 of joseph's dream and we looked at that in quite detail and then the second uh, uh, character that we saw was the great red dragon mentioned there in verse number three and there appeared another wonder in heaven and behold a great red dragon having seven heads ten horns seven crowns upon his head and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast him to the earth And, and so who is the great red dragon this one's a little simpler isn't it uh, we could f- pretty much guess at that one, that that is Satan. In fact, in verse number 9, it, it, it tells us, "...the great red dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan." And then the third primary character of chapter number 12 is found in verse number 5. It says, "...and she brought forth a man-child, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up into, the, into God and to his throne." And so just using those two thoughts, they're ruled with a rod of iron and caught up to the throne of, uh, uh, next to God, and that would be Jesus Christ. And so we looked at the woman, the great red dragon, the man-child, Israel, Satan, and Jesus Christ. Along with that, I gave you an overriding principle of chapter number 12, and not really just for this chapter, but for the whole Bible, and that is this, that God has always had a plan for. For redemption. Again, uh, the emphasis there was this that it wasn't something that God had to come up with something quickly. Oh no, Satan has interfered. And we talked about how the great red dragon there in verse number uh, uh, four was stating he wanted to devour this child, he wanted to kill the man child. He's always tried to destroy that, that, that messianic line. And this was not some type of a last-moment decision by God to develop a plan of redemption. There's always been a plan of redemption. Uh, in, the mid, late, uh, in the mid to late 1990s, I was uh, serving as a youth pastor in New Hampshire, and our church was having a, some special meetings, revival services, and We had Dr. Clarence Sexton. He's been here before. We're familiar with him at Temple Baptist Church in Powell, Tennessee, Crown College. He was our guest speaker. It's the first time for me to meet him and to hear him preach in person. And and, um, I certainly enjoyed the week there. And he had seen me around fulfilling my duties as an assistant pastor. And and one night towards the end of the week, he, he caught me, and he, he said, hey, I wanted to talk to you, and how long have you been here? And he was just, he, he, he spent a few moments with me and, and, and had a, a personal conversation, and, and I answered those questions. We talked for probably five or ten minutes, and then he asked me if I had a particular book in my library. And I said, I did not have that book, and he says, I'll make sure you get a copy. Well, there's a lot of things that I think people mean that they would really like to do that, but I did not anticipate ever getting that copy of that book from him. Uh, but sure enough, about six weeks later, there came a package to the church there, and he couldn't remember my name. It says, give to the skinny youth pastor, please. And uh, I was really skinny and thin then, and uh, and he didn't say that, but he just said, get it to the youth pastor. and um, And it was this book. It's a thick book. In fact, it's three volumes that they combined into one work, uh, one published book there, for over 1,400 pages long. I looked at it today just to see how many pages. I know it's huge, and I've not read all of it, by the way, but I've read through much of it, and it was written by a man named Graham Scroggy. Is that name familiar to anybody? He was a preacher in the late 1800s all the way into the early 1900s, died in 1947 or 57, I can't remember what the exact date was or the exact year, but, and he was a student of Charles Spurgeon, He sat under Charles Spurgeon's teaching and eventually actually pastored the same church as uh, Spurgeon had, the Metropolitan Tabernacle there in London. In fact, during his time as the pastor, it was destroyed during World War II from some air raids. That, that great tabernacle was destroyed during his tenure as pastor. He's written several books, but his goal of this book, as I read through it, was tracing this plan of redemption throughout the scriptures. Looking at each book from Old Testament to New Testament, from the book of Genesis To the book of Revelation, God's plan of redemption has always been there. In fact, let's just do a little journey back here. Look at Revelation chapter 5. We've already seen some of these verses. Revelation chapter 5, verse number 9. Chapter 5, verse 9 says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, And has redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and made us, and has made us our God, uh, made unto us our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Of course, that's speaking of that lamb in the previous verses. It's speaking of Jesus Christ providing redemption. Look to me with Revelation chapter number one, verse number five. Chapter 1 verse 5, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Again, here is this redemption power through the blood of Jesus Christ that we've already seen here in the book of Revelation, or mentioned in Revelation. Go back to one more passage with me, just a few books to your left. 1 Peter chapter 1, and notice three verses with me from this passage. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 down through verse 20. It says, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. That's not how you were redeemed, he says. Verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who was verily foreordained, before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Here it is. Uh, you Listen, you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. And we've seen that picture throughout the scriptures, right? Those Old Testament sacrifices were always pointing us to Jesus Christ. Always pointing us to, as John the Baptist will say, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And Jesus fulfilled that redemption. But all of that was in the heart and the mind of God from the foundations of the world. Before this was ever, uh, the earth was created, it was in the mind and the heart of God for this, uh, this, uh, uh, this redemption plan. J. Vernon McGee, you know how I love J. Vernon McGee. and I read uh, his thoughts on 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, 19, specifically verse number 20, and he said this. Get this, think about it. The cross of Christ... Was not an ambulance sent to an accident? What's an ambulance for? It's for an emergency, isn't it? You see an ambulance or a fire truck with a, You get out of the way if you if you you should you get out of the way. They got to get somewhere quick because there was an accident. There's an emergency. Uh, they weren't expecting this, and we got to get this ambulance to this place as soon. That's not what happened in chapter one, verse twenty. This has been planned from the beginnings of times. That God would have this redemption plan. And that's where we were at last week. Redemption has been here from the foundations of the earth. And it's always been a part of God's heart. Well, Last week, we, again, we're in chapter 12. And what we've been doing, we're going through this timeline. We've looked at the church age. Uh, We studied that for a short time. We got into the rapture, the judgment seat of Christ, and we're about midway through the tribulation period. In fact, we're back in our text, chapter number 12. Uh, There in verse number, oh, where is it? Uh, Verse number 6 it is. He says, And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. There's our midway point of this tribulation period. And so we, we, we're about halfway through, and it's bookended by the rapture and then the return of Christ. We've already seen the rapture, where Christ came back for the church in the clouds. This next time, he'll come all the way back to the earth at the end of this tribulation period, as we get into that in the latter chapters of the book of Revelation. So far, we've studied the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments. And when we get into chapter 15, we'll see the final set of judgments, the vial, or some people call them the bowl judgments. Now last week, I introduced you some of these pictures described for us in Revelation chapter number 12. In fact, you see there, and I know those pictures are far away from you, you can't see the detail, but look at verse number 1 again. There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun. Look at that picture. You see the overall attire looks like a sunbeam. And so this artist is doing a good job of depicting this. Notice it says that, and the moon under her feet, and you can see that there. And a, uh, upon her head, a crown of 12 stars. Now, if you could see the detail, there is a crown there. And I didn't go count, but there's a bunch of stars on that crown. And, and so it's a very active, or accurate picture of what's going on here. But also in that picture is this great red dragon described for us in verse number 3. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. behold, uh, a great red dragon having seven heads. Ten horns, seven crowns upon his heads, And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to earth. I believe that is referring to Satan and taking with him a third of the angelic beings uh, that had become uh, his demonic forces that he uses today in his, in his, his fight against God and against God's people. Uh, look at verse number 9 at the very end of that verse. It says, uh, uh, Satan was cast out uh, into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And so these are these stars or these angels that he drew with him. And so we have this picture here. And I mentioned, you know, the artwork, although accurate, is certainly not beautiful artwork. It's not something we'd want to hang this in our living room, really, would we? Uh, Put this in your bathroom and see what your guests think next time they come over. what is wrong with these people? There's war in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the great red dragon and his angels. Of course, I just read that they did not prevail and they were cast out of heaven. There was no place for them there. And then here on earth, down in verse number 14, it says unto the woman, we're given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a time, and the times and a half from the face of a serpent, and the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And so here's this, this creature trying to destroy the nation of Israel. And so this is where we were at last week. We looked at these things here, and, and I wanted to take the opportunity, church, to maybe spend a few extra moments on this great red dragon. You know, even to hear that phrase and the way that we see things um, popularized through uh, depictions and, and, and TV and media and, and drawings through the years, there's a danger that we can think this is all make-believe that we maybe we don't even think that but maybe we don't take it as serious as we should listen this creature here all in verse number 1 and in verse number 3 it talks about a wonder in heaven it's it's a it's a word that comes from a a greek word where at times it's described as a sign it's a type this is a picture of what it is and, and but and Satan is not some cartoon character. He's a real being. He's a, he's, a, he's a fallen creature of God. We talked about that last week in Ezekiel chapter 28. Isaiah chapter number 14, cast out of heaven because pride had risen up in his heart. He said, I will ascend into heaven. I will ascend to the highest places. He wanted to be like God and to be on God, and God cast him out of heaven. He's this powerful, fallen creature, and I want you to know this evening, church, he is our great enemy he 's against you he 's against me um, uh, there's uh, uh, there 's this desire of his to destroy he wanted to destroy the messiah we 've looked at that. Last week we even considered there was times in our study of the kings on Sunday evenings where there was that line that almost was, was completely destroyed and one baby was spared. You can go back to the times of Moses where they were trying to destroy the Hebrew nation. You can go to the birth of Christ where Herod was trying to destroy. Listen, that has always been his goal. And the Messiah was born. And so now he wreaks havoc on God's children. And he wreaks havoc on the people of the earth, not wanting them to believe. Uh, I was doing a Bible study with one of our men, a discipleship study, and today we were talking about knowing God, and we can know God through creation. And we paused to talk on that for a few moments. And how, how unfathomable it is for me to think that people can look out at this world, look at the creation and think... That all happened by chance. But you know, a lot of people believe that. A lot of people have been taught that. And you know where that originated from? Don't name any man. That originated from our great enemy. He, he wanted to put that into the heart of man because that takes the, the thoughts of man away from God. And if he can take that away from God, then they, then they can have this thought that I don't have to be under God. I don't have to, I don't have to submit to God. So he's our great enemy. But I want to remind you God and Satan are not equal foes. You know, you ever get the, the, the tail of the tape between two boxers? This one's six foot two. This one's six foot four. This one's weight is 212. This one's 218. This one's arm reach is 82 inches. This one's 74. And you start looking at it well, I'm going for this guy. He's probably because they're because you look at their odds. Listen, when you look at the tale the tape between God and the and, and Satan, there's no contest. First John chapter four verse four says, "Greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world." And by the way, that this is the dom- domain of Satan right now. He's the prince and power of the air, according to Ephesians chapter number two verse number two. This is his domain right now. This is where he, 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 he rules and, and works. But there's no comparison between him and God. Listen to some things that Satan is not. He's not omnipotent. Uh, he is not all powerful. Satan has limits. He, he just can't say, I want to do whatever I want and do it. There are limits to what Satan can do. There are no limits for our God. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. Satan is not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. He does not know everything. Uh, Listen, he doesn't know what I'm thinking. Now, he can hear it or he can learn it from what I might say or do. But Satan's not, he can't, he doesn't have those kind of powers. Now God is all-knowing. God knows everything. God knows the very hairs of your head and he knows the thoughts of your heart and mind. But Satan is not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once. He can't be at a hundred places at the same time. He can't be at ten places at the same. He can only be at one place at a time. He's got his minions, he's got his demonic forces, those fallen angels that he has cast throughout the, this world. But again, he is not comparable to our God. But what is Satan? Well, according to Revelation chapter 12, there's several descriptions as we looked in verse number 9 last week. But let me just point out a few thoughts to you. First of all, he is a deceiver, isn't he? He's a liar. He's deceptive. Uh, Imagine this, Adam and Eve living in a perfect environment. Have everything provided for them. They have a walk with God every evening, face to face. This This is what we long for, and they had it. Never knew anything else before that. And somehow, Satan deceived Satan convinced, got her to question, got her to wonder, got her to thinking, and got her to disobey God. As wild as that is for us to think about that, you know what's going to happen again? In Revelation chapter 20, Satan has been bound in prison for a thousand years. He's been in the bottomless pit chained for a thousand years. And for a thousand years, God rules on the earth. And we rule. He rules in a in a in a uh, a wonderful, perfect environment of of God. Uh, Jesus sitting on that throne of David here on the earth, and it's going to be a time of uh, uh, of prosperity. It's going to be a time of peace. It's going to be a time of uh, of everything man has ever wanted. And at the end of that thousand years, the great deceiver will be released, and he'll deceive. It says there in Revelation chapter 20, I think it's in verse number 8, that he'll he'll deceive so many people that he raises up an army as the sands of the sea. It means it's an innumerable army. It means that all of these people that have lived for a thousand years and that have grown up under this great, wonderful king will turn their back on him because of the great deceiver. So, don't be so haughty and so prideful to think that he could not deceive us get you involved in some things that 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 i would never do don't say that because satan is a great deceiver Uh, he's a destroyer first peter chapter 5 describes him as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may what devour destroy Uh, he's ravenous You watch those, uh, discovery videos of the lion that's out there and they're, and they're tearing into that, 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 that animal that they've caught and it's, it's ferocious. It's awful. And that's the picture of what he wants to do to every person. He wants to destroy each and every one of you in here. Uh, marriages. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to. Uh, 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 he wants you to become a thief, a murderer, an addict, all an abuser. This is what Satan desires to do to everyone, and he trusts that he can get you to go to hell. Listen, he knows he's banished to hell. He knows he's banished to the lake of fire, and he wants to take as many people as he can with him. He's a destroyer, but he's he's sneaky about, it, not he? He doesn't show up with the pitchfork and the red suit and says, here I am, let's duke it out. Now, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, he's a disguiser. And yes, that is a word, I looked it up. It's someone that disguises themselves. He says in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14, that he appears as an angel of what? Light. He looks good. In fact, we would, we would never, we wouldn't look at him and say, that's dangerous. You know, those pictures of he's always kind of got that evil look and the, the little goatee and the, the, the pointy eyes, and we're like, oh, stay away. He's not going to show up like that. He, he's going to be someone that is appealing and, and appeals to your desires and to your, to your longings. Satan does have some things here that I want to mention here in closing in just a few moments. I've already mentioned he has limited abilities. Uh, and again, we, we compared him to Jesus Christ and, and to God and, and in and those three aspects. In 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in Satan has limited abilities, but I'm grateful for this. Satan has limited time. Look at Revelation chapter 12 again, verse 12. This is after Satan's been cast to the earth it says, therefore, rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, knowing having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Now, here he's got about three and a half years left in this text. We've already discussed, church, the return of Christ is imminent. He could come back at any moment. And when he does come back, we're brought into this tribulation period. And let's just say that he's coming back in the next year, the next five years. And then you just look at this. Satan's just got a handful of years left, if that were the case. I'm not naming a date when Jesus is coming back. But I'm just saying, we believe we're at the end times. We believe the return of Christ is near. And Satan knows that. He has a short amount of time. And he is on a full court press. You know, you ever if you were a basketball player and, and, and you're playing at a game and you're down and you only have a few minutes left, you may, do, you may at the very end, just in desperation, just throw everything at them in a full court press trying to get, get a few extra points there to catch up to this team. And Satan is on a full court press. Think about all the wickedness we see going on around us. Getting worse and worse all around. Listen, Satan is working hard because he has a limited time. He has limited abilities, limited time. I could not come up with an alliterated thing here, but let me tell you this. He has an awful future. An awful future. Verse number 10 here in chapter 12 says that he was cast down at the very end of that verse. Cast down which accused them before our God day and night. He was cast out of heaven, cast from heaven to earth. But it's only going to get worse for him. Look at chapter 20. Let's end on some happy verses for Christians tonight. Chapter 20, verse number three. Let's look at verse number, let's start in verse number one. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit. And in chapter 12, he was cast out of heaven to earth. In chapter 20, he's cast from earth into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And then after that, he must be loosed a little seasoned. I've already described that time of that, that release. But here he is for a thousand years. You know why there's a thousand years of peace on earth? Because the deceiver is bound up, he's in chains, he's in the bottomless pit, and he's shut up. I think there's a double meaning there, not just he's shut in there, he is shut up, he can't talk to us, he, he can't whisper in your heart and your ear and, and try to de- get these things in us, and, and so there's that, but as I said, there's this, there's this time of release, he, he gathers an army and there's one final battle there, the battle of Gog and Magog in verse number 8 of chapter 20, and then we have this final sentencing for Satan, another casting in his life or in his time. Revelation chapter 20, verse number 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. This one that has destroyed so many individuals, so many families, so many marriages, has caused so many people to get involved in things of this life, the vices of this world, this man, this individual that has sent so many men to hell, he will be cast into the lake of fire where he shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. He's got an awful future. He knows what's coming. So church, let us all take the warning of 1 Peter chapter 5 Verse eight and nine. Be, uh, oh, there's my sometimers hitting. First Peter one, five, verse eight. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Verse number nine. Whom resist steadfast in the faith knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Hey, three thoughts in closing from these two verses. You better be serious about this. Be sober. Be serious-minded. You take this lightly, you're a target. You act like it's no big deal. You act like he won't bother you. He won't come after you. You're a target. You ever watch those shows? the, 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 The animal that gets taken down is the one that wanders away from the herd. The one that's ill, the one that's, that's not, not right, the easy targets. And if you're not going to be serious-minded about this, you're a target. You're going to be that major target that he's going to come after. So be serious. Be suspicious. It says be vigilant. Uh, be cautious. Uh, 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 look at things before you buy into these things. Be, have a suspicious mind in this, in this battle And then be steadfast, verse number 9. Listen, get this. The devil is resistible. You can say no. You can reject what he puts out at us. And so be steadfast in resisting. James chapter 4, verse 7 says this. says, submit yourselves therefore to God... Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You want your resistance to be right? Make sure your submission to God is right. You want to resist well, then submit well. Submit to God. Uh, come under the, 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 the authority and the protection of God. Submitting yourselves therefore to the Lord and resist the devil and he will flee from you you don't have to say yes you can say nope i'm not getting involved in that resist them and so i wanted to just emphasize these thoughts of the great red dragon satan himself and uh, that we would take this battle seriously we'd be suspicious and we would be steadfast as we go through these things let's pray father we love you thank you for your blessings upon us thank you for the study of uh, the book of Revelation, thank you for uh, Father uh, um, getting an understanding of these things to help us live in these last of the last days, uh, Lord. Expecting and anticipating your return. Now, Lord, I pray that you'd be with us tonight. Would you protect us and watch over us as we go to our separate homes? Uh, be with our campers for these next, I guess, two days, Thursday and Friday. Uh, Even tonight, Lord, they often have church service a little bit late. I pray that you bless their many decisions made for you. Bring them home to us safely. And uh, Lord, bring us all back at our next appointed time here on Sunday. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much. We'll see you Sunday.